The Webb Telescope is nothing less than humanity's next effort to move closer to understanding some of the biggest questions about the origin of our universe. And it's not just the origins of distant stars and galaxies, but it's the story of us, you and me. It can't be said enough that this is a mission for anyone who's ever looked up at the night sky and wonder how we got here. Boy, I watched this very spectacular, it was a brief, maybe three minutes of just silence. On TV, they had the James Webb telescope moving away, unfurling something and just sort of drifting away, drifting into space, away from the Earth. And you see the lower half of your screen, the beautiful Earth. And then there's this James Webb $10 billion telescope that's just floating out of orbit and on its way. And as it moves away from the Earth, it, the angle of the sun is is such where the farther it moves away, it becomes a bright shining orb, almost in the, sh- in the shape of a cross, which is interesting because the Urantia book says that our world is known as the world of the cross. So, And this, uh, as we've said or we've talked about here on Urantia Radio with yours truly, Jim Watkins, the James Webb Telescope could be the next major event if it is able to detect life, if it's able to enlarge our vision of the universe and correct many of the assumptions that that have ruled uh, astronomy, for example, the Big Bang. Maybe the James Webb tel- Telescope can tell us maybe the universe is a lot older than we think. Maybe there are other universes behind the Milky Way that we just haven't seen, but the James Webb Telescope will allow us to see it. It's it's a hundred times more powerful and more detailed than the Hubble, to give you an idea. And the Hubble has been for the last 20 years giving us spectacular views of heaven, of the heavens. And it's kind of what I want to talk about this time up on the Arantia Radio podcast. Um, what might life be like elsewhere? We, we hear about that, you know, that's why we're that's why we're looking, right? We're trying to find out if we're the only ones in the universe. And if we're not the only ones in the universe alive, then what else is out there? Well, the Urantia book actually tells us this throughout the book. I mean, the whole point of the Urantia book is to inform us of the reality that the universe is one large school. It is liter- literally littered with evolutionary life, spiritual life, what they call the midway or Moranchian life, that sphere between the pure material and the pure spirit. Much of all of this activity takes place on real planets. It's a very large neighborhood. It's a very big place. Oh, and by the way, if you want to get an inkling of how big it is, I urge you to check out YouTube. Look for Nigel Nunn. He has, I think, maybe six videos that he's produced. He specializes in digital artistry. And man, he just knocks it out of the park. Uh, And he gives you a real good perspective, along with some other works. And you'll have no shortage of finding these beautiful, visually stimulating uh, pieces of art produced by people who are obvious readers of the Urantia book. 
So on paper 72, there are 12 chapters in this paper. And that's what we're going to focus on. So within the 12 chapters, there are 12 pages total from Section 3 in our history of the Urantia of our world. So this chapter takes us on a departure from the timeline and brings in a neighboring planet for consideration before it starts to take us on the journey of our last 40,000 years. Now, why would they do that? They cover a variety of subject matter in paper 72, and the revelators share with us all kinds of information on this sister sphere. It doesn't tell us where it is, but it tells us how it is, and in fact, how similar they are to us. Including is the history of the continent on this neighboring planet, the home life, its political structure, how they set up their schools, parenting, even things like taxation, how they deal with crime, and how other countries on the planet compare to them. They even explain why they are sharing the information with us. The author is simply credited as a, as a Melchizedek of Nebadon, perhaps maybe perhaps a Melchizedek that, that serves in some kind of receivership on this planet, similar to what Machavinta does. But nevertheless, he is a Melchizedek, so he is a high son, revealing this information, almost firsthand, it, it appears. So we're going to read, I, I, I'm giving you the abridged version I picked out in sequential order as we move through paper 72. But the rich detail and the corollary information has an effect where we start thinking about how we do things here on our world and in our time. What can we learn from this story? That's what this is about. What can we learn from them as we peruse paper 72, Government on a Neighboring Planet from the Arantia Book? So from the beginning, 72, the opening paragraph, section 1, with the approval of the Most Highs of Adentia. Now remember, Most most Highs are mentioned numerous times in in Scripture. They represent the government of the Trinity on Adentia. That's the name of the headquarters world of our section of space. He writes, I am authorized to narrate something of the social, moral, and political life of the most advanced human race, human race, living on a not far distant planet belonging to your system, which they name Satania. This planet has experienced a history most like that of Urantia. The similarity of the two spheres undoubtedly explains why permission to make this extraordinary presentation was granted, for it is most unusual for the system rulers to consent to the narration on one planet of the affairs of another. A very superior civilization is evolving on an isolated continent about the size of Australia. This nation numbers about 140 million. The people are a mixed race, predominantly blue and yellow, having a slightly greater proportion of violet than the so-called white races of Urantia. These different races are not yet fully blended, but they fraternize and socialize very acceptably. The average length of life on this continent is now 90 years, 15% higher than any of the other people on the planet. These people are self-sustaining, that is, they can live indefinitely without importing anything from the surrounding nations. Their natural resources are replete, and by scientific technique, 
They have learned how to compensate for their deficiencies in the essentials of life. They enjoy a brisk domestic commerce, but have little foreign trade, owing to the universal hostility of their less progressive neighbors. This continental nation now has a representative government with a centrally located national capital. The central government consists of a strong federation of 100 comparatively free states. These states elect their governors and legislators for 10 years, and none are eligible for re-election. State judges are appointed for life by the governors and confirmed by their legislatures, which consist of one representative for each 100,000 citizens. So it's not unlike our own world, really, or our own country, the United States, where 50 states instead of 100, each state is, is free. Uh, these states elect our governors and legislatures. One notable difference is that they're not eligible for re-election, so they have a, their answer to term limits, a slightly longer term, but one term. And then, of course, like us with our Supreme Court judges that get appointed for life, so do they on the state level. And they're confirmed, much like we confirm our own. And, of course, they have representative government, which is uh, analogous, uh, analogous to our own. One representative for each 100,000 citizens. So that's interesting, isn't it? Very similar to us. From paper 72, section 2, we pick up, the federal government embraces three coordinate divisions, executive, legislative, and judicial. The federal chief executive is elected every six years. He is not eligible for re-election except upon the petition of at least 75 state legislatures concurred in by the respective state governors, and then but just for one term. And he is advised by a super cabinet composed of all living chief executives. Boy, that's, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? So their president serves for six years on this world. He's not eligible for re-election unless he gets a petition that's signed off on by 75% of the states and their respected state governors and legislatures. And even if you are managed able to do that, you'd have to be a pretty good president. You only get re-elected for one term. Boy, that's that's some music to my ears. What I also admire about this, this, this government is that each president is advised by all the living chief executives. I lo- there's something about that that I find appealing. Uh, wouldn't it be something if, if Biden had the resources of Obama and Trump and Bush and, you know, just it, because these people have experience and they can obviously bring things, nuances to the table. But we don't do it that way, at least far as I know. Picking up on 72, Section 3, on this continent, it is against the law for two families to live under the same roof. And since group dwellings have been outlawed, most of the tenement type of buildings have been demolished, but the unmarried still live in clubs, hotels, and other group dwellings. So they've gotten rid of all those tenement buildings that we see that are common in our society, where, where typically the impoverished end up living. So they've figured out that it's not good to have this kind of society. It, it brings with it its own set of problems. 
The home life of this people has greatly improved during the last century. Attendance of parents, both fathers and mothers, at the parental schools of child culture is compulsory. These people regard the home as the basic institution of their civilization. It is expected that the most valuable part of a child's education and character training will be secured from his parents and at home, and fathers devote almost as much attention to child culture as do mothers. So a lot we can learn from that. All sex instruction is administered in the home by parents or by legal guardians. Moral instruction is offered by teachers during the rest periods in the school shops, but not so with religious training, which is deemed to be the exclusive privilege of parents. Religion being looked upon as an integral part of home life. Purely religious instruction is given publicly only in the temples of philosophy. No such exclusively religious institutions as the Arantia churches having developed among this people. In their philosophy, religion is the striving to know God and to manifest love for one's fellows through service for them. But this is not typical of the religious status of the other nations on this planet. Again, a lot to extrapolate there with the importance of the family and the differentiation between families, what they teach children and what the schools teach. They don't have churches like we have with all these different denominations, but they do have temples of philosoph- uh, philosophy. Interesting. where they, Their religion seems simple. And it also mirrors exactly what the gospel is, by the way. Suffrage is conferred. The right to vote at 20, the right to marry without parental consent, is not bestowed until 25, and children must leave home on reaching the age of 30. Paper 72, Section 3, Paragraph 8. Marriage and divorce laws are uniform throughout the nation. Marriage before 20, the age of civil disenfranchisement, or civil enfranchisement, is not permitted. Permission to marry is only granted after one year's notice of intention and after both bride and groom present certificates showing that they have been uh, duly instructed in the parental schools regarding the responsibilities of married, married life. So see here, they see, they understand these people have developed to that point where they understand that the home is the most important institution. It is how the home goes determines how society goes. And they take very seriously, it appears. You're going to get married. You're going to have kids. You're going to raise a family. You better know what you're doing. You can't just have children and make it up as you go along and get some books. And, you know, you've you got to, it's, it's, it's taken very seriously. And I admire that. I admire that quite a bit. It's, I think we can learn from that. Schools are vastly different from those on, on Urantia. There are no classrooms. Only one study is pursued at a time. And after the first three years, all pupils become assistant teachers. Interesting. Instructing those below them. That's something I think that we could look into. Books are only used to secure information that will assist in solving the problems arising in the school shops and on the school farms. Much of the furniture used on the continent and many mechanical contrivances 
are made in these shops. And this is a great age of invention and mechanization for these people. Adjacent to each shop is a working library where the student may consult the necessary reference books. Agriculture and horticulture are also taught throughout the entire educational period on the extensive farms adjoining every local school. Now, there's something that I think could be revolutionary for us. Imagine that future age where when you send your child to school, they spend part of the day learning how to grow tomatoes and potatoes, and they actually learn something about tilling the soil. That could have a, a, such a positive impact. I know that many people will say, including myself, that when you are young and you have that experience of being on a farm and being around livestock and, and growing food and eating the food that you grow, uh, it's a transformative experience. It's something that stays with you. And it's something that we've lost in our urban society to a great degree. <clears throat> the book says the federal government is paternalistic only in the administration of old age pensions and in the fostering of genius and creative originality. The state governments are slightly more concerned with the individual citizen, while the local governments are much more paternalistic or socialistic. Um, although the society and government of this unique people are in many respects superior to those of the Arantia nations, it should be stated that on the other continents, there are 11 on this planet, the governments are decidedly inferior to the more advanced nations of Urantia. So they're telling us this planet, our neighboring planet, out of the 11 continents, this one is the most advanced and it's probably farther advanced than most of our current continents. But inversely, the other 10 continents are vastly inferior to what our continents would be. So that's uh, pretty severe. We could see why they're shut off and why they've learned to be self-sufficient. Just now, the superior government is planning to establish... Now, this was written in 34, so this would have been, you know, 70, 80 years ago. Just now, the superior government is planning to establish ambassadorial relations with the inferior peoples... And for the first time, a great religious leader has arisen who advocates the sending of missionaries to these surrounding nations. We fear they are about the, to, to make the mistake that so many others have made when they have endeavored to force a superior culture and religion upon other races. So take note. I'm going to teach us a lesson here. They're talking about the mistake that we make when you try to force a superior culture on an inferior or different race. They say, <clears throat> what a wonderful thing could be done in this world if the continental nation of advanced cultures would only go out and bring to itself the best of the neighboring peoples and then, after educating them, send them back as emissaries of culture to their benighted brethren. This is, by the way, the practice that we're was conducted in the Caligastia scheme, the plan, the 100, and then also of the Adamic culture. Theirs was to go out and bring the superior members, a few of them, 
teach them their ways and then send them back to their... They're saying that's the preferred way. If you really want to make an impact and help advance other societies, take a few of them, bring them in, teach them, and then send them back. Then they can share what they've learned with their fellow man. That seems to be not only... I have a feeling that's, that's the tried and true way of advancing cultures instead of this in mass and we've seen a, a lot of people today argue about the merits of you know how America came to be because this is essentially what we did we came in european settlers and we forced our culture upon the indigenous at the time and this has been done spanish did it to the native americans in the 1500s so forth and we continue to do this today Although today it's much more having to do with commerce. And then finally it reads from paper 72, section 12. This recital of the affairs of a neighboring planet is made by special permission with the intent of advancing civilization and augmenting governmental evolutions on Urantia. Much more could be narrated that would no doubt interest and intrigue Urantians, but this disclosure covers the limits of our permissive mandate. The intent of advancing civilization and augmenting governmental evolution. And that concludes some of the highlights from paper 72 entitled Government on a Neighboring Planet from the Urantia book. Now, this is the first attempt I can recall of a book providing an in-depth look at a society on a neighboring world. It also provides to be one of the few examples of how the Arantia book differentiates itself from most religious books by stepping into uncharted territory. But yet, it is consistent with its overall presentation. And it's a suggestion that life is abundant and more common in the cosmos than even we realize. So, I hope you got something out of Paper 72. I love reading it from time to time. It's one of my favorites from the archives, I guess, of the Arantia book. Hope you enjoy this episode. Please share and follow me. It helps support this podcast. And supporting it just means sharing it with others. For information or questions about the show, including uh, topic suggestions, my email address, which is UrantiaBookRadio at gmail.com. Until next time, God bless. And thanks for joining me on the Arantia Radio Podcast.